0: I'm Darren Fonda, Managing Editor for Barron's, and welcome to Barron's Live, Managing Your Money. Today, we have Sean Farrell, Head of Digital Assets at Fundstrat Global Advisors. We're going to talk about crypto and why it's been under so much pressure, and we're going to discuss Ethereum, the biggest blockchain network after Bitcoin. Ethereum just completed a massive upgrade that has made it much more energy efficient, and it could help Ethereum become something like an internet base layer for all things crypto. Thanks for being here, Sean.
1: Hey, Darren. Thanks for having me.
0: So let's start sort of with the big picture. Um, what's going on with crypto right now? Bitcoin and other tokens are really suffering. Uh, Bitcoin's trading around nineteen thousand. It's down fifty nine percent this year. Doesn't really show any signs of recovering. Can you talk a little bit about what's putting crypto under so much pressure right now?
1: Yeah, would be happy to. Um, so you know, the the answer to this question is, is quite simple. Uh, the the reason that crypto is suffering is because all risk assets are suffering uh quite frankly um we've had the market on easy mode for the better part of a decade um you know rich with cash and liquidity and uh due to a combination of both uh, supply driven um uh, factors as well as you know a, a sizable increase in in money supply uh We have encountered some inflation that is stickier than I think the Fed was anticipating. And uh, due to that, we've had an unprecedented uh, shortened tightening cycle, um, and people are really reeling in their um, appetite for risk. Um, The good news is that crypto is falling due to tightening conditions. (laughs) Uh, If we look at crypto's history and look at uh, you know, previous cycles. You know, the Venn diagram of, of people investing in crypto and, and people investing in other macro assets uh, were, were basically two circles. Um, fast forward to today, and you know, the, the correlations between Bitcoin, ETH, other you know, alternative crypto assets as well. The the correlations between between those crypto assets and uh, you know, tech stocks is uh it, it nears one depending on on what time horizon you're using um so yeah in in short it's you know crypto assets are, are falling in in conjunction in conjunction with with a stronger dollar and, and tightening liquidity conditions
0: yeah i think for a long time there was a, a sense or at least a hope that crypto was an uncorrelated asset Uh, It's often been compared to Bitcoin, at least to gold, um, that it could, uh, you know, perform differently and have different return drivers than equities um, and bonds and other things that one might have in a portfolio. But it's really I think this downturn has shown us that crypto isn't all that much different from anything else that's risky out there um, and particularly um, tech and tech stocks. uh, And it's behaving very much um, just like an extension of the overall tech market which kind of raises the question of what will be the catalyst for crypto to recover um, is it going to take uh, a general recovery in in equities and stocks as the Fed uh, you know eventually stops raising interest rates um, or is there anything else that can uh, catalyze or trigger a recovery in crypto
1: yeah you know real quick just to touch on the uncorrelated asset part of your, um, your comment, I find that very interesting. And that's not something that we ever really, uh, you know, fun FunShad really uh, put a lot of weight on, uh, due to the fact that, you know, crypto assets were uncorrelated, because they were small, they were uncorrelated in the same way that, you know, venture investments are largely uncorrelated with with macro assets. Uh, it's just so happens that now, crypto is is large enough that it can be uh, considered as an allocable asset by these uh, large fund managers and, and uh, uh, as well as high net worth individuals and RIAs, uh, that is now, you know, acutely correlated with with these assets. Uh, looking forward, you know, in terms of crypto recovery, um, yeah, I I think the, the same fact. I mean, there, there's two things to uh, two ways you can look at the market right now. Um, one is, you know, pretty much everything is waiting for every asset class is waiting on the Fed to pivot more or less. I mean, liquidity in the bond market is drying up. If you look at how, uh, you know, rates are fluctuating, uh, in, in um, uh, on a daily basis. Uh, so it's not just crypto that isn't getting a bid. It's, it's most macro assets and, and every, and, and it's all pretty much centered on the dollar rates. And, uh, you know, also to to a certain extent, QT um, and that is based and, and the uh, any changes in those uh, factors that contribute to tightening uh, pretty much rely on. CPI um, and the Fed has made that very clear, and I think that is pretty much where uh, where every every investor is, uh, is focused on right now. The other uh, route, the other perspective you could take on the market right now is that um, there are still tactical opportunities. You know, oftentimes I think a lot of investments in crypto are uh, more thematic in nature and more uh, narrative-based, so to speak. Um, and so even w- even in a uh, you know a what would seem to be a dire condition, uh, you know, for uh, seem, seems to be no opportunities out there. Uh, There still are. It just takes a little more work and a little more diligence. Um, And you know, the merge was something that we had on our radar, and a lot of investors had on their radar as a potential uh, catalyst. You know, and we did see correlations between ETH and uh, tech stocks diverge a little bit uh, back during some of the test net merges for uh, for uh, you know the the conversion to proof of stake. Um, Unfortunately, the latest CPI print was pretty devastating. and so we've seen correlations with tech stocks go back to one, essentially, uh, and haven't seen as much of a tailwind from, from a, a successful merge as, as we would have liked to see.
0: So it's, it's been kind of a double-edged sword for crypto. So on the one hand, you know, crypto was relatively small for a long time. It was kind of sitting outside of the mainstream uh, financial system. Um, it wasn't considered a mainstream asset. Then the market uh, absolutely soared in 20. 2021 20, 20, a bit um, all these institutional buyers and firms came into it um, but that it, w- which was great for you know crypto believers and fans and and people who held the assets but at the same time that turned into crypt- that turned crypto into another correlated asset with other um, mainstream assets like tech stocks um, so we'll have to see um, whether crypto can go its own way in the future um, and kind of get back to being um, a bit less tied to whatever is happening in the tech uh, market and the broader uh, macro landscape. Um, obviously, we can't control CPI and inflation, um, and that sort of raises the question of, you know, well, what can we control um, if we do want to invest in crypto? Um, and that kind of does bring us to the uh, to, to Ethereum. Uh, and you mentioned the merge. Um, can you just explain um, to our listeners what Ethereum? Is what the blockchain is and what the merge um was and 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 then why it's been so significant.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'd be happy to. So I'm gonna step real far back here and come at this from first principles, super high level. Um, because I think a lot of people listening to this probably have a question of like, what what are we even doing here with this all this crypto stuff, right? So I, I guess starting with the term merge. Merge is just uh, you know, it's a term that people are using to describe this transition of Ethereum from a proof-of-work network to proof-of-stake network. Um, Now, what what does that even mean? Um, Stepping back, you know, software over the past 10, 20 years, we've seen it, you know, Mark Andreessen used the term software eating the world. We've seen it eat everything from like a process perspective. We've seen, you know, uh, uh, software that automates cars to HR software, et cetera. But we've never been able to actually create uh, software that can govern monetary networks, um, and a big reason for this is because um, to govern a monetary network, you have to keep an accurate ledger. But to do that with software, you have to make sure that a centralized provider isn't maintaining that ledger, right? Otherwise, you might as well just run that on a database. You know, there's no censorship resistance. There's no. Uh, it, it's not internet native at that point. Um, so, so. Y- to, to solve this, um, some really brilliant uh, engineers have iterated on it. And eventually, you know, the um, uh, pseudonymous Satoshi, he or she uh, solved this issue through uh, what was called a proof of work consensus mechanism. Um, and high level proof of work invi- involves buying hardware to solve this arbitrary function called a hash function. Uh, and the person that solved it is rewarded with a block reward. Uh, as well as transaction fees, and appends the next transaction to the chain. Um, and theoretically, to compromise this, the network, you would need to acquire uh, a majority of the hash rate that is competing to solve uh, this function. Um, and uh, you know there are other nuances to this, like difficulty adjustment, which which just makes proof of work consensus mechanism uh, this kind of uh, beautifully engineered way to. Uh, perfectly incentivize block uh, block producers as well as just token holders uh, to to be honest and, and maintain uh, the network. Um, uh,
0: so so yeah. So So Sean, so, we, yeah. so basically, we we had this original network, Bitcoin, yeah. which relied on on this proof of work mechanism, which was essentially. Computers around the world um, competing against each other to um, solve this cryptographic puzzle um, and uh, validate a block of transactions and add it to the chain uh, and be rewarded um, with a bit of Bitcoin in return. But Ethereum um, has scrapped that method. That was the original Ethereum method and it switched to something called proof of stake. Can you just explain a little bit what proof of stake is?
1: yeah yeah sorry Darren. i know i'm being long-winded here but so just getting back just real quick um uh tying the loose ends on the proof of work element so the reason that it's secure as i mentioned is is you know you have to acquire enough hash rate to uh uh, you know more than 51 percent and the reflexivity of price in asics and bitcoin excuse me um prevents uh actors from doing this right and there's also this inherent um, uh, there's a lack of economic incentive to actually attack the network uh, due to the fact that attacking the network uh, will likely destroy Bitcoin price. And so uh, really the only uh, vulnerable attack vectors are from non-financial um, uh, advers- adversaries. But there were certain limitations to Bitcoin. It wasn't amenable to building applications on top of it. Um, Bitcoin just generally somewhat had has this... Uh, uh culture surrounding it that favors ossification uh and um they're more focused on being sound commodity like money converting energy through this proof of work consensus mechanism into this uh immutable uh money and so uh there are just some limitations to what can be done on top of bitcoin Incepts ethereum right still proof of work but favors iteration experimentation composability, interoperability, um, as well as this censorship resistance aspect. And the goal of Ethereum was to create this internet native money, right? So build applications that that are sit on top of this network that can use this ETH token to transact uh, between applications. <clears throat> so it's Ethereum favors, you know, this, this you know, computing aspect, uh, compute and store on top of the network, um, but, you know, still proof of work. The Ethereum community wanted to decrease the security budget, right? No more need to acquire ASICs, remove the exogenous cost centers of mining equipment, uh, and make the easier uh, uh, ne- make the network easier to recover from attacks. And so they set out to convert to proof of stake. And this at a very high level uh, just involves, you know, put it, it, it is what it sounds like. It's, you know, you take a certain specified amount of your native tokens, uh basically put them up as think of like a security deposit um and then you you become a validator and you are chosen uh at random but weighted based on your stake to validate blocks should you violate the rules of the network you will be slashed and your stake will be removed um and so you know i I mentioned the term security deposit but that's broadly that's kind of how it works and so you know there are other, yeah, there's obviously a lot of benefits from this uh, as well as like reasons to, and as well as some trade-offs that we can discuss, but I think high level, that's kind of uh, the transition that we've made over the past past so,
0: years. So the idea was to um, remove the energy intensity or much of the energy and electricity consumption requirements of proof of work uh, and to go to proof of stake. And I think the Ethereum uh, foundation has said that um, it will or is already cutting the Ethereum network's um, electricity consumption by 99% uh, because pretty much you don't need all of these computers worrying 24-7 um, trying to solve this problem uh, to validate transactions. Anybody um, you know, can become a staker and participate in validating transactions by putting up some Ether um, as collateral to do so and running some software on their computer. And if they don't want to do that or don't have the skills to do that, they can delegate um, their stake to a pool. And there are companies like Coinbase, um, uh, the big exchange are running staking pools and they're aggregating people together to act um, as kind of validators on the network and earn some um, uh, return um, for their efforts, uh, kind of uh, a yield basically on their on their collateral but I, I think the um so that's kind of what's just happened um and we've just seen this transition occur with uh, the ethereum network switching over to this new system um there was a lot of volatility in the ether token um in advance of this um some of the brokerages and exchanges um and uh defy uh networks kind of they didn't seize up but they 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 restricted uh, withdrawals or deposits in ether, but um and so but now we're through it and it does seem to be running relatively smooth, although there have been some incidents. Um, I guess that one one question, uh, Sean, is um, has it has it generally gone smoothly? And do you expect it to go smoothly from here? And then secondarily, um, what's ahead for the ether token? Um, and, and before you answer that, I would just like to remind our listeners that we are. Uh, taking questions. So if you do have a question, um, please let us know.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I, Darren, I I do, I will get to your question, but I do just want to touch upon the energy efficiency aspect. I think from a narrative perspective, that's really going to be a strong tailwind for ETH moving forward. But just to be clear, you know, when the Ethereum Foundation set off to to transition seven years ago to proof of stake, the real goal was to to lower security costs, right? So instead of, um, uh, you know, having miners have to buy very expensive ASICs, be at the whim of, you know, chip supply chains, electricity costs. um, Instead, now the security cost is actually the native token. And so you'll have more people be able to secure the network and, and there will be more ETH. And simply the reflexivity of these price will, will be the, uh, you know, shield for uh, anyone trying to disrupt the network. So I, I do just want to push back on, on the energy efficiency perspective. That is a good thing, right? I think, you know, we're all like mutual want to move towards a greener planet. And, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it certainly can serve as a positive tailwind for, you know, say ESG focused fund managers that want to invest in crypto. Uh, but I think that's separate in part from the actual uh, goal of this merge. Um, from a from a, a token perspective, so just you know, stepping back, we had, <clears throat> as I mentioned uh, um, uh, a few minutes ago, we did have a bit of a uh, divergence uh, in ETH performance from the macro landscape. Uh, this was this started back in around uh, uh, late July, and this was during the test net merges. So essentially. Uh, the Ethereum developers underwent several dress rehearsals for the merge prior to uh, the actual mainnet merge, and so um, once those were successful, the market kind of interpreted those as, a, you know, kind of a risk mitigation. I think a lot of people, given the amount of time it's taken to to get to this point, still were, you know, highly doubting the the ability for devs to pull this off and so once that happened we saw a lot more people allocate to east uh, we didn't quite get a uh blow off top rally but we did get a pretty um significant uh jump off of the lows in june so we went from 800 to uh up to 2000 at one point still well below all-time highs um we had uh, there were obviously people that putting on long positions, but we also had and, and this might we might be getting a little too nuanced here. Um, uh, we had people uh, putting on delta neutral positions. So essentially, we were seeing a lot of people uh, go long ETH tokens uh, in their you know decentralized wallets and uh, short perps, so that they were kind of uh, uh, they could defend against any uh, variations in price um because there was also a uh you know a a, the rumors of a a fork token uh that would be airdropped to ETH holders post merge um and that did happen that token has not done very well but that was just a very popular trade that, that was put on prior to the merge uh fast forward to last week and um you know price was actually relatively steady uh prior to and post merge um unfortunately we had the pretty uh, terrible CPI print uh, that a lot of people were not expecting last week. And, uh, you know, S&P had one of their worst days since I think June 2020. Uh, And as a result, ETH kind of was taken down with it along with the rest of the market. Uh, This past weekend, we also saw a lot of the ETH BTC relative value trade unwind. Uh, And so, you know, uh, ETH ETH dominance in the market kind of um, uh, receded quite a bit. Uh, So that's where we're at right now. Happy to, you know, talk about our outlook uh, on a short and long term. But I don't know if you have any specific questions about what I've just mentioned.
0: Well, um, yes. So uh, I I think one of the appeals of ETH now is that the supply inflation rate is supposed to decline. And I don't know if that's supposed to happen because of the merge or um, with future upgrades of the network. But uh, the research reports that I've um, seen have all posited that as as a positive um, uh, catalyst or support for ETH to um, at least, you know, not be um, so supply driven um, as transactions, uh, you know, were conducted and ETH was created under the old system. Is that happening now, um, yeah. that supply deflation, or is it that the supply is actually just going to increase at a slower rate, but either way, is that considered to be supportive of these prices?
1: So the answer is it depends. So Ethereum has, so I guess, you know, from, um, uh, from an issuance perspective, there was uh, some disinflation. So I mentioned the security costs declines. Embedded in those security costs is the issuance. If you think about the cost profile, the miner versus the validator, uh, it's 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 much uh, it's much more profitable to be a validator as opposed to a miner due to both hardware and electricity costs to to do proof of work mining. And as a result, the network can uh, compensate miners uh, uh, via you know block rewards via via lower block rewards now due to the fact that the cost profile to validate is much lower than the cost profile to mine. So we actually saw. Uh, inflation decrease from around four and a half percent, give or take to uh, just under one percent following the following the completion of the merge. Uh, and that that is that's happened. That is that is uh, set in stone. And that is what we're working with. It will fluctuate a little bit based on the amount of ETH staked, the amount amount of ETH validating the network. Uh, but that, that is that is that has happened. And, you know, there, um, uh, the disinflation has occurred. You would allude it to deflation now eth uh following eip 1559 back in i guess last august uh enacted a burn function so uh a portion of ethereum fees uh now get burned so there are uh, there are circumstances under which in, under the short term ethereum can be deflationary now that issuance is much lower there's probably going to be more instances of you know short spurts where eth is deflationary and uh, you know this is one of the major reasons reasons from just like a market uh, strategy perspective that that we're uh, uh, quite constructive on eth over the you know six to twelve time uh, six to twelve months time horizon because you know we've had um, uh, miners proof of work miners have to sell their supply to finance operations and we basically just removed that from from the ecosystem and so, we're probably going to see somewhere between, you know, 100 and 120 million of uh, natural sell pressure just removed from the market starting now going forward, which I think people are underestimating how constructive that can be for for the token price.
0: So George asks, um, please do tell what opportunities uh, are there in tokens right now? Uh, What is your top um, buy right now if you had to make a recommendation?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, look, um, out of respect for paying clients, not going to put on uh, specific price targets or get too deep in the weeds with with tokens. I think most people know that we are uh, pretty constructive on ETH on the six to 12 months time horizon. Same with Bitcoin, but due to the you know supply uh, dynamics that I just mentioned, we're, we're somewhat overweight on ETH. Um, one thing I would like to touch upon, you mentioned liquid staking derivative. Well, you may have mentioned liquid staking providers such as Lido and, and Rocket Pool. We think these are going to be interesting uh, areas to keep an eye on. Um, the way those work, high level, is you know if you don't have 32 ETH and don't want to sp- or don't want to spin up your own validator, you can basically take your ETH, stake it to uh, Lido, Rocket Pool, or a couple of others, uh, and you're issued a uh, derivative and you can use that derivative however you want as collateral um you can just hold it and 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 receive your yield Uh, but there are uh governance tokens for these liquid staking providers uh that that govern these um these applications and uh uh, there are questions about token value accrual but just from a uh, narrative perspective we can certainly see them um uh, garner some momentum um you know, I think we're also very interested in, um, you know, separate in part from East, I think we're, we're pretty interested in how, um, you know, different composability, or call them composability chains that are focused on scaling at the base layer uh, play out over the next 12 months. Because uh, I, as I alluded to, this bear market is, is uh, it's much different from the last one. You have people still using a lot of these apps and a lot of these chains. Um, and, uh, you know, some chains like Solana uh, and some of the competitors that are spinning up to compete with Solana um, are seeing a lot of user activity uh, separate and apart from token price. And whenever we see that happen, we get pretty excited because uh, that means there's there's natural demand outside of outside of number go up technology that, that get that uh, is bringing people uh, into the market. So. Those are just some areas we're we're looking at right now.
0: That raises an interesting question about the alternative uh, blockchains and their tokens. Uh, You mentioned Solana. There's also Avalanche. There's Polkadot. There's Cardano. Um, These are all rival layer one blockchain networks that are in some ways competing with Ethereum for apps and DeFi services. Uh, Now that Ethereum has moved to proof of stake, uh, transaction fees um, are expected to go down. I don't think they're going down yet, um, but will will these rival blockchain networks have a harder time competing against Ethereum, which really in many ways has a first mover advantage and um, has uh, attracted uh, a tremendous amount of, uh, of apps and NFTs and stable coins and, <clears throat> and, and everything that's kind of moved onto its network. Does, Does this change the game for the rival networks and the rival tokens now?
1: Dan, I'm glad you brought that up. So one of the biggest misconceptions about the merge is that it does anything with transaction fees. Um, Fees actually are unaffected um, with the merge. So the merge is merely sets the table for further scaling initiatives that come down the road. But right now, uh, you know, at the base layer, um, you know, the merge does not affect one way or another transaction fees. And quite frankly, the way that Ethereum is trying to scale in a roll-up centric model is uh, it, it kind of makes the point moot anyway, because the goal of the Ethereum network is kind of to push a lot of the developer and user activity to these layer two networks Think like Optimism, Arbitrum, uh, you know, we'll call Polygon a layer two, even though there's some nuance there. Um, and so um, it's less important. There, there are there is a in the roadmap, there is a uh, an emphasis placed on making it cheaper for rollups. But this uh, this update specifically does not affect fees um that being said i you know i think there are just different um these chains are just solving for different things so you met so there are certain um use cases for you know for for like solana I, i call these composability chains because they're much less focused on uh say censorship resistance uh or um just being this internet native money they're less focused on that more focused on uh composability and so you know i think we see these types of chains perhaps serving as these interoperable um, interoperable networks that uh, maybe provide financial infrastructure uh, whereas we'll see ethereum be you know a place for apps to develop on top of and and kind of, you know, I'm, I'll use the word leech, but, but, you know, le- leverage the security of the base layer uh, Ethereum, Ethereum network. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you mentioned Avalanche. So like Avalanche is, is, they have a, they're, they're trying, they're aiming for a different use case, you know, broadly speaking, you know, they're very focused on, on tokenizing everything under the sun. Uh, you know, they have they are, uh, creating this, you know, subnet model that enables this, uh, these, these elements of customization. So you, you, we might see a lot of uh, you know, traditional financial players perhaps integrate with with them. There's going to be a lot of um, falling into niches over the next you know 12-24 months, and we're going to see a lot of these chains uh, serve for serve these very like specific verticals most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're,
0: we're almost uh, we're almost out of time. Uh, I just want to ask you a couple of quick questions uh, from our listeners. Uh, and we'll just do this really fast. Um, Hal asks, is Ethereum
1: hack proof? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, I, well, it's everything is hack proof until it is, right? <laughs> uh, until it isn't. Um, it is I, I think what he's I think what he's asking is, can you double spend on the Ethereum network? Can you break it? So just to reiterate what I mentioned earlier, The way to the way one would hack Ethereum is to acquire more than 51 percent of uh, uh, of the validating tokens of of the of the network, more or less. And um, to do that would require a lot of capital. And once you did that, you're essentially destroying the chain, right, because your tokens are going to go to zero. Most likely, you know, validators are going to fork burn your stake and, and just restart. So, there's really no financial incentive to quote unquote hack Ethereum. Uh, the only hack would come from state actors. And state actors, you know, it, it, that also is, is it's debatable how feasible that would be as well.
0: Okay. And then um, Carrie asks uh, could ETH flip Bitcoin? I'm not quite sure what's meant by that. Um, yeah. What, 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 what is your interpretation there?
1: So so the, it's uh, fondly referred to as the flippening in crypto, uh, and it is uh, merely just the market cap of Ethereum surpassing Bitcoin. Is it feasible for that to happen? I, you know, I think so. What we've seen with Bitcoin over the, if it does, I think it has to happen in the next, um, in, in the short term. Uh, I think the way that it ends up happening is for momentum to to build up behind Ethereum and the supply crunch um, you know, the, the changing supply dynamics, and we get a bit of a flywheel effect from, uh, you know, a lack of uh, new supply coming to market. Um, it's it's going to be very hard as we get into next year, because we're going to be approaching the Bitcoin happening. I think there's also reason to be optimistic about a spot Bitcoin ETF. So I think at that point, it, it will be difficult. Uh, but I think it's, it's quite possible. Um, it's quite possible for sure.
0: All right. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Thanks for being here, Sean, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. We hope you'll join us again tomorrow for another episode of Managing Your Money. My colleague Reshma Kapadia and Stephanie Link, Chief Investment Strategist and Portfolio Manager at High Tower Advisors, uh, will have a discussion on the quality and, uh, and value stocks that she favors now and why a barbell portfolio may be the best way to ride out volatility. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and have a nice day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.